Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. This show is brought to you in partnership with the Witherslack Group, experts in special education and care, and John Cat Educational, leading publishers of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at schools in the UK and beyond. Enjoy the podcast. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Teachers Talk Radio on the Sunday Social. It's me, Tom Rogers. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, Jasmine is not here with you as usual today, but she will be back very, very soon. Um, Got a really exciting uh, programme for you this morning and and also tomorrow uh, at 7.30, um, I've got the, the second of this sort of double header on the future of education with Daisy Christodoulou and Khalil Rouse uh, tomorrow night as well, which is at 7.30. This one, um, similar sort of theme and questions. Um, I've got Catherine Darwin and I've got Tom Sherrington and we are going to be talking about the future of education, um, uh, particularly when it comes to some of the challenges we're currently facing, perhaps some of the trends um, that are that are around at the moment and how um, we think things might pan out or how we predict things might go. Um, uh, perhaps some of the things that we worry about or perhaps some of the things we want to keep that we think might vanish. Um just before we get into that, uh, just to remind you, today's show is sponsored by John Cat Education, uh, which is a leading publisher of educational content, books, magazines, and educational resources. If you want to find out more about John Cat, just visit johncatbookshop.com and you can find out more about what they have on offer. And our second sponsor is Witherslack Group. Uh, you can see them pinned to the space at the moment. Um, they've got lots of webinars coming up soon, including one that you can see listed called ADHD and Autism, Managing Sibling Relationships. And you can literally click on the link in the pinned tweet to sign up for that. Um, because I'm sure that that will be a topic that will be very interesting to lots of our listeners. You might be listening back to this as a podcast. Um, If you are, welcome, Uh, whether you're driving, walking, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. um, It is always good to have you with us on Teachers Talk Radio. Uh, It might even be 
that you're thinking, oh, perhaps I could be a host on Teachers Talk Radio. Well, please do. Uh, we've got 50 or more hosts and contributors on the station, and we are always looking for new hosts and new people who would like to get involved. So if that is you, then just uh, go to the website. There is a little thing that says host on there, and you can fill in the form and, and join us. Uh, Catherine, good morning. morning. Hello, how are you? Yeah, really good, thank you. Well, I'm lying. I'm recovering from a chest infection, so if I just stop speaking for a bit, it's probably because I can't breathe. Um, but yeah, apart from that, all yes, <laughs> very good to have you with us. Um, I, I will introduce you as your Twitter bio says, as the executive princess of maths. Yeah, that is me. Um, we decided at one point that um, there were a lot of silly names uh, going around for people's jobs. Um, just appearing at some stage um and so there was a, a collective of us that kind of just made up our own our own titles and executive princess is obviously more important than just being a princess isn't it? So. <laughs> brilliant um well you know what we've known each other for a while and you are a certified legend uh, and an amazing maths teacher it's brilliant to have you sort of um on the show this morning and we've also got tom tom good morning Hello, good. It's good to be here. I, I finally cracked the code of how to enter, and I'm I'm glad to finally have found my way in. Well, brilliant. You've just missed me introducing Catherine as the executive princess of maths, which she has on her Twitter bio, which I'm guessing makes you the executive principal of walkthroughs. See what I did there? Yeah, very clever. Very good. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. Um, but yeah, you 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 both. I mean, basically, what we're going to do, we're going to be going through sort of um, talking about the past, the present, but particularly the future of education and the landscape and what we think might change, what we think might stay the same, what we think we need to keep, what we think we need to throw away and so on and so forth. Tom, do you want to give a little bit more of an introduction to yourself, to listeners? Because some might be listening back as a podcast and might not know who you are. Um, okay, well, I, I used to be a teacher and a head teacher uh, for about 30 years altogether. And then... I've, for the last five years, I've just been working in schools to do mainly CPD training, um, and I've written some books about teaching, including most recently the Walkthroughs series. So that's me. Brilliant. Um, and, and Catherine, I, I don't want to just leave it at Executive Princess of Math, so, so maybe you could just tell people your actual job role at the moment. <laughs> yeah, um, so I'm a lead practitioner of maths and teaching um, at an inner city school in Leeds, um, just a bit obsessive about teaching and maths really that's that's me down to a t brilliant brilliant um so tom we're going to start with a question which i think is on everyone's lips at the moment how can we stop teachers leaving teaching because every time i speak to a teacher at the moment they are a considering leaving b on the verge of leaving or c they're saying that they are just out on their feet, they, they, they can't carry on, and therefore they're sort of, you know, I guess that the, the next logical step is that they consider leaving. So how can we stop teachers leaving teaching? Um, well, I think, I mean, I, I just want to just come in before you say that and say, I don't, I mean, I meet lots of teachers. I mean, I meet lots and lots of teachers, and I don't hear that all the time. So I, no. I, I want to just sort of, I know it's 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 uh, there are challenges, and I know that recruitment has been lower than usual, and I know that it's not easy. But I actually meet a lot of teachers who love their job, so and I think this what well, that's that's part of the solution is that 
you have to sort of think, why is it that so many teachers actually really love it? And why do so many school leaders just absolutely love their job? And and then and flip that round. Because I think there's 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 issues to do with with pay. And I've you know the, the unions are balloting at the moment for strike action on pay. And I think that's an obvious area. I mean, pay should be people should feel well rewarded for being a teacher because it's a, it is a demanding job. So that's one aspect, of course. And I think that I don't I don't it's not surprising that unions are balloting for strike action because that's a sort of a natural thing to do when you, when you feel like you're not being listened to by government through pay reviews and so on. But I think wider than that, I think there, there are school cultures and school situations where the job is just made too difficult, uh, you know, in terms of things like, and I do, I, even here, I feel like there are some improvements being made. I mean, compared with a few years mm. ago, I mean, I, I actually think things have got better in most of the schools I go to. So, you mm. know, there are, there are fewer pointless data drops, for example. Um, there's more like professional development orientated processes. The, the accountability cultures are sort of getting a little bit more intelligent, but I, I just still feel like, that needs to that work needs to carry on. The workload agenda needs to be taken far more seriously. So I that that it's a balance of things, isn't it? It's a whole mix of these things. Yeah, and for me, the re- the reason I was asking that is more, I guess, the observations on on around, like, for example, um, people. You know, not not a week goes by where I don't see see social media posts or even just conversations about we're struggling to recruit we can't get enough people to to apply but also as i say people sort of saying um um i'm thinking of going um but i agree with you i mean of, of course i mean even even the teachers who want to leave teaching love teaching i mean it's highly rare that you find a teacher who leaves because they just think oh do you know what i went into teaching and actually teaching's rubbish i don't like it it's it's highly rare like sometimes yeah like one out of every however you might get that but usually it's not because they don't love teaching that teachers leave um in in my sort of perception in my experience of 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 talking to people it's because of you know other issues that are not necessarily to do with the kids or or the teaching or the classroom um space but it's it's more to do with what happens beyond that or around that um but yeah i think learning from i mean what what you mentioned there tom about about culture and stuff like that i mean what do you think we can learn for the future about culture i mean you mentioned some of the things there in terms of less um sort of data drops and assessment points and but is there anything is it i mean what would be your key things there i think there's i mean i think one of the things that teachers love is a feeling of autonomy of feeling that you you're allowed to make choices and you're not constantly being judged and scrutinized and i feel like the best cultures manage to create a, a culture where there's a professional development energy around the school where people feel they're on a kind of mission and we're trying to do something together. So they're allowed to, there's a kind of a talking and a some processes around professional development, which don't feel like scrutiny. And I, and that's, that's a, for some people, a hard balance to strike. Like we're not, it's genuinely supportive. And you talk to people and they, they're looking forward to their team meetings because they have been, given the autonomy to run them in a way which solves the problems they've got rather than it always being doing stuff that other people have told them to do. So I feel like if, if 
I, I see so many schools and there's a whole axis of things where I just think, well, there's such, such variation. And if all the best things happened in every school, I think a lot of teachers would stay. So that would be things like time for time for, for meetings is kind of man, managed well. And it's quite frequent for sort of the main thing, which is like your curriculum team. Now, some schools have, have hardly any time to talk about their curriculum. So they're constantly sort of running on fumes. It's things like resourcing, things like, you know, materials for teaching, having a visualizer, you know, all those sort of things. It's just like, it's not a big deal. It's just there, you know, you just sort it out. You're, you just, you have the stuff you need. It's not a big ask. And and I, I meet schools where the teachers feel they've got lovely spaces, they've got lovely equipment, they've got all the resources they need, they've got loads of CPD time, it's a supportive SLT, there's someone who, you know, that there's a, a great behavior system and all those things are just there. And you think, wow, it's just a lovely place to work. Um, and when you go to the toilet, it doesn't feel like you've gone to some sort of 1970s train station. You know? <laughs> and it I feels mean, like I, you're I, treated like a human being. I genuinely think, and I kind of intimated this in a tweet I put out last night about um, pay, is that, you know, I, I genuinely, like in the past when I left an experience in a school where I, I left halfway through a year, I left with no job to go to. If the and, and the school building was beautiful, right? <laughs> and it was, you know, it was it was pretty well resourced. Um, I just think that for me, and this is me personally talking now. I'm not talking for anyone else at all. But like, you could sort of put me in a shed. I mean, the, the first five years of my career, I taught in a porter cabin in in a field, and the porter cabin was falling apart. I mean, the porter cabin wasn't touched in those entire five years that I was there at all. You know, there was paint flaking off the walls. There was the, the floorboards creaked when when students walked around the room. Um, you know, it was it was like um if someone hit a football, because it was like right in the middle of the field. So people used to smash footballs against it, you know, all the time and whatever. But do you know what? Because of the culture of that school, I was I was perfectly happy. You could have put me in a shed and I, I I'd have still sort of got on with the job and 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 made that that situation that classroom my own and and tried to because i because i love teaching you know yeah. I, I love the teaching element of it so i'm not saying it wouldn't have made it harder it would have but would it have made me quit would it have made me consider leaving the profession probably not you know so i agree with you like the buildings are, are mint if you've got a lovely building but I don't know. Like it's, it's just part of it's part of the whole set of ideas, though. So I mean, I, I, the, the, all these things add together to a, to a sense of feeling invested in, and of course, uh, you know, the, 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 the reason I say those things is because in the schools where I, I notice those things, it's like the teachers can just take them for granted because they're just expected. But when teachers don't have the things they need, it's every, it's just another thing which is just pointlessly frustrating, and then takes up time takes up energy and you're right but i do it probably does the school culture is a, a, a really interesting thing isn't it because mm. really, that I, I meet a lot of school leaders and that i always meet these people who are the sort of high you know super enthusiastic person responsible for teaching learning and cpd and those people nearly always just love their jobs and then and then slts are meaning mean well around what they're trying to do but it, sometimes when you talk to teachers about what it feels like to be on the receiving end of some of these processes, they, they, 
they can it just they still perceive it all as imposition and scrutiny and that i think that's one of the key reasons that people find teaching frustrating is when they feel just over over scrutinized and the reason you're doing it isn't for you or for your class it's because you're meeting someone else's need to you know from a leadership point of view so i think slts need to think really hard about that that real mm-hmm. balance of letting teachers feel like they are who they are they can be themselves they can express themselves and the, the, the extent to which you control what people do needs to be really thought hard about you know what are you really getting a net gain to your school by making people all do that thing? Sometimes do you think though? Do you think though that consistency? Because that word consistency, there's some who would say, yeah, it's super important. There's other, there's others who would say, no, because by forcing every teacher in a school to do to have those sort of non-negotiables and all the rest of it, that's that's terrible. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I, I. I... I, I get sort of triggered by the word non-negotiable because I think it's <laughs> it, it's a ludicrous word. It, it, basically, there are things which I think on it's the opposite. There, there are lots of things schools do consistently because they have explicitly been negotiated. In other words, we've agreed on these things. So when you have been part of a process where you say, look, should we all try to work on this approach to teaching because it's a sensible idea and it helps the children speak better or whatever? And you go, yeah, okay, let's all do this there's some sort of collective endeavor i feel like it the consistency comes through people buying into something because they all see it as a as a sensible thing to be working on but it's explicitly negotiated it's like it's it's a negotiable whatever the opposite of non-negotiable mm. it doesn't mean everyone goes off and does their own thing in fact this is one thing that i find really interesting is that the schools i find are happiest teachers are autonomous within a spirit of collaborative endeavor that they feel they're part of something that they're doing together there's a sort of really strong team spirit and it could be the maths department the maths department has this sense of we're the maths department we're all doing it together and we're not all off going doing whatever we like in our classroom but the team itself feels sort of autonomous within the whole school and that's a lovely feeling i i find those are the most positive places the, the little team offices of teams of teachers feeling great about what they're doing together and that is the level it's where the autonomy sits isn't it We're at each mm. teacher's door it's in the the unit that they're part of so being part of something is hugely rewarding and i and, and i think that's something which sometimes doesn't perhaps yeah. enough focus yeah that's that's really interesting um catherine um how can we stop teachers leaving teaching it's really interesting listening to Tom speak about kind of what happens within a school there because when you asked me that question it was kind of totally different the way I was like framing it because I've came from a career outside of teaching before I was a teacher oh I didn't um, know that yeah so I was a training actuary for three years um and it, it wasn't for me I like people too much to uh, look at spreadsheets but um you know I think that that the respect I got as a member of that profession and the kind of reward I got from being kind of monetarily and also kind of in the balance of my life and the investment I felt in my in in kind of my development in that kind of structure was a lot more than I think the status of teaching as a profession has got um and I think that that is part of the problem for 
teachers leaving but also teachers that are or anyone thinking of becoming a teacher um you know joining a grad scheme that needs exactly the same qualifications as teaching pays significantly better you know you're going to have a better work-life balance they're going to invest into these professional qualifications for you um and you are valued for doing the job that you are doing um as opposed to kind of being pushed higher and higher up the ranks if you are doing doing well um and so I think that for me it's about kind of trying to mirror that within teaching a little bit um and that kind of sense of of having a status as a profession of teachers and being valued for being good at your job and being invested in in terms of your professional development for that I think is is really really important and I think I've been quite lucky with that in the schools that I've I've been in but I know it's not the case for every single person that they're in a school that that respects that um but I think it's wider than necessarily just the school that you're in as well I think that as as a nation um we potentially don't hold teachers to the standard that they should be held as a profession it is a profession it's not just a job um and so for me that's that's where it lies a little bit it's bigger than just the school you're in all of those things individually can be lovely in a school but there are so many schools across the country um and not all of those things can kind of be controlled by the school itself Hmm. tom any any thoughts on that from from catherine no i agree i i I feel like I think there's you know, there's a government aspect to this. I think in terms of recruitment, I think the, the, ultimately the government's responsibility is to make sure there's a supply of teachers into into the, the, the profession. Schools can't control that directly and they can play a part in it. And I, well, there's lots of aspects of this. There's sort of the, the mul- multiple routes into teaching, I think, is, is, is good. And we do have that. But sometimes I still feel it's it's too complicated. I know that people I've spoken to about you know how would I become about going about becoming a teacher where do I where do I go to find out and I know there is a website but it's sort of it's so fragmented it's it's a bit of a minefield to get in and then the, the, the there's some adver- advertising that goes on and I think some of the adverts are good I, I think they, they they present teaching kind of how it is you know they're kind of the spirit of being a teacher and I like those but you think well you've got to put your money where your mouth is <laughs> you've got to say well so I, I think the pay aspect is key in terms of public perception. I think that's always going to be a problem. And, you know, how do you legislate to change public opinion about teaching and its status broadly? I, I think it comes through sort of the accumulation over time of, you know, pr- politicians and, 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 and pundits sort of bigging up the profession much more explicitly and, you know, I, get, I, I don't think there's enough of that, you, especially in the kind of the, the ordinary sense of it. You, you, you often get the kind of the doe-eyed, teary story of the teacher that changed my life. And, so, and I think that's, that's all lovely, but that's not the reality of teaching month to month, you know, which is about teaching students to add fractions more effectively, which isn't, doesn't seem very glamorous. But it, it is really the main job. You don't have to change someone's life to be a really great teacher. You just have to teach them some stuff they didn't know, you know. And I think the kind of the main thrust of teaching gets sort of slightly masked by this need to be the kind of the, the ultimate saviour kind of thing. And there's not enough messaging just around that that really important thing of the, the job schools and teachers do to teach children stuff they, you know, that, that they need to know and celebrating curriculum and all that kind of thing. It, it just doesn't get 
it just doesn't get enough airtime. Yeah, Catherine, I mean, are you an ultimate saviour in maths teaching? Um, <laughs> um, wow, that's a big question, Tom. Um, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think that there are any teachers that, that that's like their aim, do you know what I mean? They don't want yeah. to be heralded as this ultimate saviour and kind of the best thing since sliced bread. Um, I mean, obviously that would be lovely, but actually 99% of the time, all you want to do is make sure that the kids in front of you understand a little bit more about the subject that you love. And for me, I think that, that that's the reason that I love the job. Um, being in that classroom with those kids, like Tom said, like that, that bit that is like the actual bit of the job, you know, getting them to understand something, getting them to like build those relationships with you and and therefore enjoy your subject a little bit more is is probably the, the best part of it. And I think Tom's absolutely right in saying, you know, there is no, no way to legislate how people see that teaching and, yes. um, you know, that public perception. But I think it's up to us as teachers to maybe promote that side of it that is less about the, you know, whinging about the things that are going wrong or or whatever and, and actually thinking like these are the bits that make my job the best thing it, it could possibly be and then we make it a profession you know we talk about how how it can be and I, I think I really in, enjoy the kind of drive for things like you know the teach me icons um CPD and kind of for, from a maths perspective things like uh, the maths comps and and even the Charter College of Teaching and stuff like that that's really allowing us to take ownership of that I think is really lovely but I just don't think it's as widely known outside of our circles I think we need to shout about it a little bit more that you know we love this and this is why. Mm. I mean this, this is interesting because it leads me on to my next question um, Tom I'll ask you this one so we, we, we started with how how can we stop teachers leaving teaching but I want to ask how can we get the profession heard more by politicians? So is it about the unions? Is it about the charter college? Is it about something else? Because there are those who would say on the sort of cynical side um, that the profession is still not really being heard effectively. Is it, you know, the teacher voice, if you like, is not coming through. It's not, it's not there enough. Um, despite lots and lots of these programs and investments and new initiatives, we've got the National Institute of Teaching now. Um, there's lots of these these bodies, um, but there are still those who say, "Look, the profession is still not being being heard from that sort of grassroots level." Yeah, it's interesting. All that. I mean, I think there's one of those bodies there. I mean, I don't even knew about it. I mean, it's. it's I think <laughs> low profile. I, I think, you know, I think there are things that, that I go to where you, and I, there are times where I've said to people, I mean, I, I, I do think apart from the pay aspect, which I think is really an, an important issue, but in terms of things like things that Catherine's talking about there, that the access to the debate and the discussion, I, I don't think there's been a better time for teachers than now in terms of the spirit of sharing and access to information and and i i'm a massive fan and, and supporter of research ed move things where there's so many of these events you go to and you know i've got a, an event next week which is a, a charity event a, a day online on zoom talking about rose and shine's principles and like 300 people have signed up you think <laughs> people is this is appetite for this stuff it's absolutely fantastic people are kind of excited about it and there's a there's a energy and there's a spirit of it which i just think is fantastic and i love it and so do all the people doing it so why isn't that 
the general perception. And I think we need to invite people to see that and understand that's what it's about. I think one of the problems is that, and this has been said many times, is that the teaching profession isn't a homogenous body. There's a lot of people debating and discussing, and there are some quite ferocious debates about what schools are for and uh, you know what, what the purposes of education are. And so we don't have a kind of united voice because we aren't united. And I think that's part of the challenge, that you've got to have multiple different people you know getting politicians to to see what's happening but there there's always going to be some division in what the alignment between certain groups of teachers promoting certain ideas and certain schools of thought around leadership you know you get some schools get lionized for their particularly niche way of doing stuff and other and other, and other schools that do the main lift heavy lifting in the profession this is going to lead into a whole other beef, so I'm going to get sidetracked on this. But I, I actually think that the schools that do the hardest work and the most important work in the system get hardly any attention at all. Um, and what do you what do you mean by that, though? Can you sort of yeah? So, so let's say let's say a school which has got you know the, the existing staff, existing students, and um, is a full full sort of comprehensive school. Yeah. Know, unglamorous area and just doing great work and probably as good work as anyone else could doesn't yeah those schools are not running off the off the tip of your tongue are they because there's hundreds of them and so therefore they don't stand out but those that that is where most children get educated and they do incredible work and so i just think that mainstream of main type of school main type of area is really incredible work it's probably the most creative innovative stuff that goes on is how you take a school with existing teachers and students and make it better than it was before that process is not given as much credibility as the shiny schools which started new which did what they wanted and um nearly every school that's famous started from scratch in the last 10 years and i think that's ludicrous because the best schools I go to aren't those schools. They're the ones where they've had to grind it out over a long, long time. And I, and I think that's that's the sort of thing where teachers who work in those schools feel like, you know, what about us? You know, so come and visit us on your first day in as a as a as a minister, because this is where the action is. Yeah. So I feel that's part of it. You know, you need to celebrate the core practice and make teachers see that that's this is the real thing. And of course, they could do things better or differently, but that's that's part of the the excitement that's happening people are recognizing that yeah yeah Catherine I'm going to ask you the same question in a second just before I do um, just to say welcome to everybody who's listening we've got lots of people joining us this morning um good morning Jonathan Mrs Lloyd who's one of our <coughs> our regular listeners on Teachers Talk Radio welcome to you Brent Poland another one of our hosts Mr Green Mark um Nadira Lucy Lindsay um uh, Leanne Sarita Pip uh, Freya, Chris, uh, Miss N, uh, Mark, Elizabeth, Charlotte, Anika, um, Leslie, Paul, Sasha, Alex, Rory. There we go. I feel like I'm doing the register or something. Um, <laughs> but anyway, Catherine, what what do you think then in terms of um, you know how can we get the profession heard more by politicians? 
I think that what Tom said there is really interesting about the divisions within teaching and not feeling like something always represents you. Um, there's even that within just the small kind of set of maths associations that there are. There's there's like this battle of kind of um, the types of, of teaching that, that go on and, you know, what one thinks is better versus the other. Um, whereas I'm a member of both of them because I think that it's really interesting to hear both viewpoints and try and learn from both of them. Um, and I think that actually, potentially that's that's what needs to happen, like the chartered college or, you know, whatever that, that kind of body is going to be for us. There needs to be one of them that is just a space for us to talk about the things that we think are good teaching, the things that we think need to happen in teaching and how we need to be supported. And it doesn't have to be a united voice per se. It just needs to be a space where we know that that, kind of conversation and discussion can happen and it is representative of us all in some way it doesn't have to be everything they say is representative of us but that there needs to be somewhere where we feel like we can voice our opinions and they will be heard in some way um, and bring that kind of I guess professional debate into it because it, it, you know sometimes that is that is what we need we need to be seen as as the profession we need to have those discussions together and actually having those separate places is, is probably making us more divided than it is united. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I don't necessarily think there's an answer to that, but I, I, I do. My, my opinion is that the profession, despite a lot of these organizations and groups existing, I'm still not sure how clearly teacher voice comes through at policy level and at governmental level. And maybe in the future, you know, you would hope that that can change. You would hope that teachers can have more of a voice and perhaps some or, or of those organisations can can initiate or enable that. Um, but it's an interesting one. Um, Tom, um, the future in terms of sort of uh, education. Um, I, I'm going to read, there's an interesting article by Forbes which came out a couple of months ago. And the title of the article was The Two Biggest Future Trends in Education. And one of the things they wrote was, education at all levels must evolve to teach children the skills they need to thrive in our changing world. Many of the jobs today's school children will work in don't exist yet. LinkedIn predicts, predicts 150 million new technology jobs in the next five years and almost all the roles in LinkedIn. LinkedIn's Jobs on the Rise report for 2022 can already be done remotely. Um, how, what do you think of that, Tom? I, I, would, I mean, I, you know, I, I think this, this, the, what is the implication for tech education? And I, I actually feel like the more sort of future speaky, the kind of the, those sort of people become, the more I just think the best, the best, the most important thing you need to be doing in education is give children a rounded, broad education based on what we, you know, we currently understand as the kind of main disciplines or that rap, you know, represent being educated and focus on students knowing that as well as possible and not try to sort of second guess some future world, which is, you know, whatever that is. But the thing I notice when I go to schools, you know, more, the thing that pains me more than anything when I visit schools is just how hard it is for some kids to learn but very basic things. When I, when I, when I look at school, a, a kid who's struggling, they're not struggling because the curriculum isn't sort of, future orientated enough is it's because you know they're still struggling to put numbers on a number line or, or articulate a sentence properly or, or express themselves in writing and what they don't need is some other curriculum they just need the curriculum that's there 
to be given the time to be taught really well. And it's sort of I, that will prepare them best, you know. This and I think business leaders are really unhelpful when they they think that people should be leaving school and going into the workplace with this sort of nebulous sense of like team skills and stuff. I mean, what even is that? You know, and if in, uh, team skills and one job isn't the same as another, just if you need them to do certain things when they arrive to your your company, then bloody train them to do it. <laughs> Schools can't prepare people for the factory floor. You know, that's that's ludicrous. They should be teaching kids to 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 have confidence in in lots of subjects, to understand their place in the world, to know why we bang on about climate change, to know to have, to read some books, to be able to understand the world around them, and that is what an educated citizen is. And they've got some agency around around their own study, so they've learned to do to, to pursue some lines of inquiry on their own, that type of thing. But that is the future. It's doing the stuff we know really well, and technology can help that with things like assessment packages and stuff like that. But it, it's not going to right. This whole future speak stuff. It just it's it's, it's a distraction. It gets in the way. Do you think, though, that, I mean, I know, like, David Bonkett recently produced a report for, for Labour where he talks about getting more creativity into the classroom. And he, he even mentioned in the report, very controversially, about sort of chalk and talk teaching and moving more away from that and thinking about the skills that, that students need and a creative, a more creative curriculum, a more diverse curriculum. I mean, what do you think about that? Well, when I when I read that part, I mean, there are some parts of that report I think are sensible, to be honest. But it's, it's yeah. balanced. But that whole thing about creativity, I mean, I I think this is a, again a, a sometimes when politicians are talking about it, or some even some school people, I just think, oh, it makes me cringe because you think <laughs> you can't just say like make it sound like instead of teaching kids stuff, uh, we should teach them to be creative because that 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 doesn't work. What 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 you want is and to be honest with you when i first read that i thought my god have we, have we beamed back to sort of 2007 because <laughs> it felt like this is an old old sort of this is this is a bit out of touch sounding what what students need in terms of creativity is the opportunity at certain points in the curriculum where they can make choices and be creative and that's not some generic sense of creativity that's a sort of let's see where in the curriculum makes sense for students to say explore an idea or be experimental or just make a, a choice of something they'd want to do rather than it always being directed by the teacher but where does that come sensibly well it comes sensibly when you already got a fairly secure knowledge base around around things and there are some subjects which allow it more than others so uh, generally speaking the arts in education is becoming marginalized and that's a real shame so if you've got a strong arts curriculum in your school, creativity comes through that. Yeah, and you could, you could debate, for example, you know, there's a lot of really interesting debates about the English language curriculum and the nature of that, and you know, there's a whole debate to be had about whether we could have more creative writing uh, in the in the curriculum and that type of thing. So it's a, it's a more of a subtle debate about where in the curriculum would you place opportunities for students to be creative rather than let's teach kids to be creative like it's a thing which happens kind of on its own which is is often how it comes across 
Catherine, do you have any thoughts on this? The whole um, sort of, you know, David Blunkett basically said in his report that um, to Keir Starmer that, you know, there should be more creativity in the curriculum, creative teaching, creative learning, and just children having the chance to be be more creative and learn how to be more creative, if that's such a thing. I think Tom kind of hit the nail on the head a little bit by saying that you can't be creative unless you, you know stuff about the subject, right? So mm. unless you have been taught enough to then go off and play with a concept, there's absolutely no point in trying to say, well, we'll all just be creative. That'll do. Um, in the same way as kind of with, with team skills or, you know, empathy or whatever, we teach that directly through the other things that we're teaching it's not like I'm going to sit down and have a lesson on empathy but I will have my students talk to each other about their views about you know these two people have have said these two answers what do you think and then they have to learn the empathy through listening to each other and what they think of each other um, and their answers and all that kind of stuff um, you know I, I think that it's hard for from a kind of a mathematician's perspective it feels like a very uncreative subject to a lot of people but it's not and um, you know there's a lot of chance for for my students to kind of play around with the maths and try and conjecture and generalize and and find patterns and and things for themselves and they can't do that until I've given them given them the maths to work with um I kind of think the same thing about when I got asked if I wanted to do my fourth year of my degree like I couldn't do a dissertation on maths unless I'd learned a load of maths before because there was no way that I could look into a concept and find something a little bit new to investigate until I'd already interrogated all that already existed um so yeah I think that there is a place for it and it's nice that that kind of somebody is trying to put a bit of a spotlight on this idea of students running their own kind of destiny and investigations and you know actually using the knowledge that they've they've got but it can't just be about those things um it's just not it's not possible to do those things without having that base knowledge for my for me basically yeah yeah, um, I, oh, really, go on, yeah I mean, I, so I, I just wish this whole debate was just was was just a much more sophisticated one so we can let, let's instead of talking about you know slagging off the curriculum now this is one thing that winds people up is this idea that schools are sort of you know factory school prison ships and there are a couple of commentators who always get get uh, sometimes get space in the guardian they don't deserve where they, they talk about schools like these terrible exam factories and i i don't see that i mean i i see a lot of teachers working really hard to teach kids but really difficult things and it's 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 demanding but where does the creativity come in well it, it comes in things like like in maths you know could we have for example the use of say goal-free problems where you're sort of saying you know, how many angles can you find in this you know, complex um, structure and and it's like the the students have to then work out the right way to approach that and that is creative because you're thinking where do I start what should I do next and it's decision making and that's interesting and that's that's being creative around a solution in maths that's the type of thing that we could be talking about where does creativity come in science well you know should it be possible at some point in say key stage three for every student to design an investigation maybe we could discuss that you know where would it fit where would be the best place to put it and it's that type of thing and is it an opportunity cost versus other things that could be doing well probably you could probably find time once in three years to say let's spend a few lessons designing investigations and following that through and there's some creativity in that and it's that type of discussion and that it so i think there is probably 
an opportunity for students to have the occasional release valve where they're making choices and they're, 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 they're and so on. But it's always located in a, a subject discipline, which is supporting that process. And that's where, in the hands of politicians, this gets lost because they think of this creativity as this nebulous notion rather than it being a, a deliberate, an explicit element of a very intentional curriculum design process. And they just don't understand enough about it to be talking about it sensibly. So they, then they mess it up. <laughs> That's how I think. I just want to say thanks to everyone for joining us so far. If you have a comment on anything we're discussing this morning, then you can hit that little icon in the bottom right-hand side with a little speech bubble in it. And you can tweet us and we will we will pin your tweet to the space and we will discuss your your comment or question um, as we go along. So if you want to get involved, that's how you do it. Or you can just tweet us at TT Radio 2022 and, and we will we will pin it that way. Um, but that's the quickest way to do it. And please share the space, um, the little icon at the top with the uh, sort of arrow in the paper tray. Click that, uh, click copy, and then just tweet it out uh, or tweet the link out. And, uh, and share it around if you if you think this is a useful discussion um yeah i mean one of the things that i wanted to sort of move on to next was about cash um and i was going to ask you two questions um and catherine we'll, we'll start with you on this one uh part a what's been the biggest waste of money in education in since you started in it and second what should money be spent on or not spent on moving forward for the future you're muted Catherine I'll yeah make. sorry it's just because I keep coughing and the dog keeps barking oh, no. um, <laughs> um, so I think there's there's two bits of this for me um I'm really kind of against these massive uh getting people into teaching bursaries that no longer match salary I think that is a massive massive waste of of um kind of the the money that goes into education um I've got no issue with a bursary um at all you know if you want to you know I got one myself it really helped me to kind of go on to my my, my skit and, and kind of feel like it was my job um but I earned more that year than I did for the next kind of four in my in my teaching career, which was bonkers. And there's a huge number of, of trainees that kind of get that bursary, maybe give it a little bit of a, a cursory amount of time in the profession and then leave because they didn't know what they wanted to do and they, they knew that this would pay them for a little while. Um, and that really winds me up. Um, and I also think that from a personal perspective I'm kind of like very big on teacher CPD and development and I think that sometimes the way that that money is spent um, is not particularly very useful because it's not impactful and sustainable and kind of returned to um, and so mm. those things for me feel like the, the biggies money wise um, and I think for me it would just be about kind of making sure that those bursaries match salaries when you come in um, rather than kind of being enticed by some big amount of know, there we go i knew he'd start um so, i'll be agrees he agrees <laughs> he does absolutely um you know making sure that they match is going to keep people in the profession um for the right reasons um and then making sure that the professional development is meaningful and purposeful and you really feel invested in a little bit like what tom said earlier is is going to make a huge huge difference and i'm I'm not convinced that there is enough money in schools to um make that that a priority at the moment that's interesting tom anything on this one of what's been the biggest waste of money in education in your time in it 
I think I think I mean this is a bit ancient history really, but I, th- I think there was a, a big and I, I've even forgotten its name, but sort of late nineties or two thousands, there was this massive um, investment in teachers needing to upskill their IC, IT skills. Yeah. Um, there's an absolute car crash program where you know, <laughs> a lot of money went into these sort of uh, folders of training materials and courses and training people to use a, you know, a mouse on a computer and you had to sort of pass these skills. And it was just, it was just an extraordinary thing. They just chucked all this money at it and you could see what they wanted to do. They thought they want education, education, education at subskill teachers, but it was also centralized and bureaucratic and the whole thing came crashing down. Uh, and I don't think most people even finished the, the accreditation. It all just, so that to me was a, was a, was a, a nightmare kind of set uh, overly, centralized implementation thing so that, that that's that's really frustrating when you see that but- interesting yeah i mean the amount of <laughs> the amount of money that you could argue has been wasted on it in the last 20 years is like pretty huge i would guess um tom what should money be spent on or not spent on moving forward for the future have you got any thoughts on that element Oh well, I mean, I, I think generally speaking, I mean, if you if you're being sort of really idealistic about it, I mean, I, I actually think te- teachers' teaching load is just far too high, and it, it's so every every bit of money you can put into staffing, I think, is really important. You know, you just need schools need to have the capacity to have teachers not not overloaded beyond what the loadings are supposed to be at the salaries which are fair so staffing budgets should be just absolutely maximal and mm. that, that to be is, is it you know you just need and, and of course where where would money be spent on things like like programs for, for invest, investment when, when there's additional money i think if there are sometimes money gets thrown at the stuff at the end the catch-up and tutoring I, I think that's an inefficient use of the money compared with say investing in early years and making sure that You've got children supported and the families and, and, and all, all the sort of wraparound care around schools early on to get parents into the school groove. And so where, where you can invest, purport, you know, to, to tackle disadvantage and stuff, I think that should be around the early year setting rather than, you know, people premium flagged catch up clubs and stuff like that, which I just think are probably largely not touching the sides. Probably yeah. all that money that's been spent on tutoring is probably... Probably a total waste of money. I mean, probably you could probably not spend any of that money, and not not barely any child would have made it would have made a difference to them. I'm not saying that some tutors aren't doing a good job with the individual case, but as as a whole system across the whole piece, it's like chucking money at a problem, hoping it will stick, and it's just not not really the thing. But I still feel like another another area, and this is where there's you know it's all about how much money you can spend in the right time. I still go to schools, and I know you talk about the condition, but I just think. You rock up onto the car park of some schools. You think, God, look at this place. It should be condemned. I mean, it's, there are some schools which are just inappropriate buildings to teach in. And uh, I, I think that, I mean, it's been acknowledged as a mistake, probably, the scrapping the building schools for the future. You mm. need to continually invest in the fabric of the buildings. Like, we can't stop. We can't suddenly stop doing it. It's, it's a 
it needs to be a relentless focus. There are some school buildings which are still... I must say, Tom, it, it wasn't me saying my desire was to teach in a shed. No, um, it, 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 it wasn't sort of a dream I had as a child to sort of <laughs> and, and teach in a shed for my entire career. But, you know. The very best state schools in England are absolutely incredible. They're just the, the structure, the buildings, the investment, they're, they're magnificent. And the worst ones are an absolute disgrace. And yeah. you think that those children going to those two schools deserve, mm. the, the, you know, the, the difference they have, their experience. It's, it's so wrong that they have yeah. that different level of facilities provided for them. Yeah. And I think that's, that is an injustice which we need to sort out. Brilliant. Um, Catherine, next question. Has what makes for a good teacher changed since you started teaching and has the profile or demand changed? I don't think fundamentally what makes a good teacher has changed. Um, I don't think that, I kind of like what you were saying before, like no, nobody kind of goes to, to work to not do a very good job as a teacher. That's not, that's not what we're about. Um, and so I don't think fundamentally anything about being a teacher has changed and what makes you good but I do think the perception of what makes a good teacher changes literally every year um so I think at, at the moment that kind of accountability kind of culture um and kind of potentially chasing what Ofsted one or, or, or other other kind of things that we think are, are good within the education system you know research became a very very big thing um in the last few years and whether you're doing that or whether you're not doing that and whether you're research informed or research led or, or anything like that there's, <laughs> there's a lot of kind of there's a lot of stuff there that kind of puts a lot more pressure i think on being a teacher than there ever has been before um I don't think that when I first started teaching, I felt that pressure so much. Um, and it might have been just purely being oblivious. But I, I also think that there is more of this kind of creeping into lots of elements of kind of the way SLT are running schools. Um, you know, that, that culture of wanting to please Ofsted in particular has been a really big feature of the past few years of my career. Um, and I just, yeah, I'm not I'm not convinced that that, that accountability and the kind of the, the demand there I guess is, is what you said is, has changed but fundamentally being a good teacher hasn't changed it's just that mm. we feel I think a little bit less good at the job because of all of the pressures mm. Tom any thoughts on that oh, the question well, I probably, yeah I, I think I probably um, would have changed my view over the last few years I mean because I mean I, I've been as guilty as anyone of going through all the fads and probably there's probably a time twenty years ago recruiting teachers and doing interviews and stuff where I might have been impressed by a jazz hands lesson with, you know, experts at envoys <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. Whereas now I'm just thinking, oh for God's sake, just teach them something, you know. <laughs> and so I feel like there's more of a kind of an understanding now about learning and how learning works and the need to be inclusive in the sense of involving everybody in a lesson in thinking rather than uh, superficial, you know, performative aspects of lessons. So I feel like there's a, a wising up that's happened, which I feel is very healthy. So I think those things are, are important and also probably understanding more about how teachers develop and 
valuing teachers who are reflective and open for discussions about you know the solving the problem of teaching better rather than thinking they have to impress and perform and focusing on one-off lessons so i i feel like that has changed mm. and i think there are there are some probably more you know in a, in a there, there are some issues to do with relationships versus subject knowledge and i don't know i i feel like it depends on the context but i know that you know some schools i'm, I'm thinking of particularly now where they they're really clear that you know the teachers who who get strong outcomes are they they kind of are able to teach the students who are there and form some connection to them they're not just sort of walking into that room going i know maths i know maths pedagogy receive my wisdom <laughs> they're thinking that they have a way of kind of flexing that approach to teach those students and bring them on a journey and i feel like there's a kind of blending of that interpersonal with the subject knowledge which we know we're looking for as the kind of holy grail but i, I mean I, I see so many teachers teach hundreds and what i think is so important to say is that there's no mold i mean teachers are becoming like wildly eccentric and just absolutely magnificent <laughs> And, and also sort of fairly kind of ordinary and magnificent because they're just there and the teachers and the kids love them because they're safe and secure and they know where they stand. And they, you know, and I think that's, I always try to give that message. You know, there's no mould. Teachers can be whoever they want to be. And, I, and, I, and I, I see that. I see that everywhere. Well, funnily enough, that was going to be my next question, which is, is there still space for, for so-called maverick teachers? You know, within the sort of... Uh, you, you, you know, have certain structures and systems and sort of uh, instructions on what teachers should or have to do meant that the more maverick teachers, and I'm not necessarily referring to ones who used to go for a ciggy in the staff room between lessons. That's not what I'm talking about necessarily. But the sort of maverick teachers, is there still space for them within the system? Oh, I think so, but I figure like it depends on and it depends it tends a bit on on <laughs> with with depends what their what their form of maverick is because if it's just <laughs> going to the lesson and and I don't know you know summer heights high has got various issues as a program but one of the characters on there Mr G the drama teacher you know who basically goes in and just like entertains himself and shows off to the children for every lesson you know that's that's not the kind of maverick you want where they're just there. Yeah amusement that's not benefiting any of the kids but if it means you know just having a kind of personality where the students love it and it has a sort of slight motivational element and it's a bit big you know the, the big character in the room that type of thing but it, but in a way which makes the, the students participate and, and work hard yeah, yeah definitely definitely I mean, I've, I've seen them i've seen i'm just thinking of them now i'm thinking of some like just fantastic teacher think wow how do you keep that up all day but they they they're enjoying themselves and it it motivates them to to turn up to work because they yeah i mean i can i can think of teachers who sort of taught me at school or or who i've come across since who were very much of the ilk of they they just i wouldn't say they did what they wanted in, in the classroom but they you know if they wanted to like narrate um and do uh, you know, question and answer or, or, or whatever for an entire lesson and, and, and the pen didn't hit the paper, that's what they would do. And it would work for 
the students. Uh, it would genuinely work for them. And, they, and the amount of times you would get that um, thing of, right, who's your favourite teacher? You know, oh, I love uh, Mrs. So-and-so's lessons. Um, and then they would ask why, and it would just be more to do. And But then I suppose the counter to that is, well, yeah, if, 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 they, if the student then says, oh, it's, it's a personality, she's just hilarious and she's, she's funny and she's interesting and her lessons are, are really engaging and interesting, I suppose there'll be those who would then say, oh, yeah, but, you know, what are you actually learning, you know? Yeah. Um, well, and, I mean, there's obviously, you've got to, I mean, I, I just think of, I mean, I just, you know, my, my, both of my children have been through school and I've, I've you know, my own teachers and I see those teachers. The teachers that, you, that, that my kids respected the most were, were ones where they, you know, they, they were learning, but they kind of had a respect for their kind of passion and enthusiasm, but they weren't really a particular mode. I think the, the, the general kind of common ground would be that the teacher themselves had a real passion for the material. And, and I think that's, that's something which I yeah. think as a universe, like, total geek out on physics and loving the like the geography teacher who's just a total geography nerd i mean you, you just respect that because you think you they're, they're interested and they kind of get over they, they tell you the sort of nerdy geology joke or something <laughs> like you, you you respect it because you think that's great you know they're they're they're, they're enjoying themselves and you my children have always felt that was good you know they 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 were they wanted they wanted to the teacher to be to believe what they were saying was that mattered, and I, yeah. and I think as soon as teachers are a bit weary and wary about the actual curriculum, then you're then then you're all in trouble. Talking of maverick teachers, Catherine, you were taught by my dad. I was oh literally God. just going to say you've got a, like a vested interest in this question because your dad was like the ultimate maverick teacher. Um, he was amazing. Um, and he only taught me in year seven, but like I genuinely think that between him being so, like, just so passionate about his subject, it made me want to carry on studying it for years. Like, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a mathematician who did maths, further maths, and chemistry at A level, but I kept doing history right up until AS because yeah. I was just so. I was so excited by the way that my history teachers were excited about their subjects and your dad probably started that for me. Um, you oh, know, that's nice. And I, I think I try and I try and do the same kind of thing for my kids. Like I have yeah. a math stress, math stress Monday. They get really mad at me if I don't wear my math stress on a Monday. Um, <laughs> what is the math stress? <laughs> I've got five math stresses, Tom. Um, and every single one of them has like some form of like numbers, equations like on the dresses. <laughs> Loads of us in the maths community have got them. Um, so we on a Monday I have to wear my maths dress. If I don't wear it, the kids get very upset with me. You know, I'm I'm that stupid teacher that makes the stupid jokes about maths. Like Tom's just said, you know, whenever the kids give me a coordinate and they say two two, I go, aha, a ballerina's favourite coordinate. And you know, that kind of stuff I think is the reason that they 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 kind of remember my lessons because I am so overtly in love with my my subject. And you know, that doesn't. That doesn't mean that that anybody else has to teach exactly like I do. You know, all of my colleagues love the subject in their own their own way, um, and have a totally different way of teaching it. There is no kind of cookie cutter for what makes a good teacher. Um, and we all. Oh, hang on, Catherine. Are you trying to make? Are you trying to make quotes for mugs there? <laughs> yes. 
Absolutely. I'll start selling them. I think that that might be my little side hustle. Uh, <laughs> no, I just I just think that, that, you know, there is no way to be a good teacher in one way or the other. And I think all of us have those little maverick tendencies in some way, you know, no matter what the systems are, you're going to want to break out of them in some way for your own personality, I think. I think, I mean, just reflecting on what you said, I mean, one of the saddest, like, I wouldn't go as far as saddest, but a, a, a sad moment for me, which I actually remember, and um, I wrote about this years ago, was when I was about, like, I must have been, like, 14 or something, I, I specifically remember that my dad was, like, really down at the dinner table because someone had basically, like, said to him that his resources were outdated and stuff. And like, and I knew that he spent hours on them, like himself, and um, and I knew how how passionate he was, and, and and all the rest of it. And yeah, okay, by that point, he would have been in his, you know, in his sort of fifties. Um, he was he's an experienced teacher. He, you know, he he he'd been in that school a long time. But equally, I knew that, you know, he was still doing a doing a good job, and that really upset me actually at the time as a kid. You know, I didn't know anything about teaching then. I was 14, but, mm. you know, but it did upset me because I, I, I sort of knew what was going on, if you know what I mean, like, and how... Yeah, it was personal. <laughs> yeah, and how, like, a teacher can be an experienced teacher who's doing a lot of good things because they're not doing the latest thing, because they're not doing, I don't know, because they're not buying into something or doing something a certain way, they, they can be almost like demoted in the standing of what well, that, he's yeah doing. i think that's so interesting because sometimes you, know, you think of maverick being sort of like wild crazy but actually yeah. in some schools maverick could just be you know, grinding out really functionally good lessons without any any jack <laughs> yeah. uh, but bells and whistles and then some some people would feel that that's their that's their, their, their quiet rebellion that they, they're listening to all this stuff thinking well i don't do any of that and I'm never going to use plickers. Don't tell me about plickers. <laughs> I just, I'm just going to ask some questions like I always have, and I and I think that we do need to respect that. In fact, one of the things I I see all the time, and I I do think it's really challenging after a career where you've gone through a system of a certain kind to to not judge people and I, I the, uh, leaders and the system. And most of our leaders now have come up through a system where judging is like bread and butter. It's required. You know, you used to get valued as a, as a school leader if you were able to get the right judgment for a lesson when you walked in for 20 minutes compared with the person who was moderating that and all that kind of rubbish. And, and that, to unpick that, to sit in the lesson and just think, let's not judge this teacher. Let's just embrace what they're doing and value them for who they are and then see what what else you know what sorts of challenges they're having i find a lot of leaders i work with find that really hard it's like their instinct is to come out of a lesson and they immediately have a view of it and they want to tell that teacher stuff and you think well don't 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 judge yet just think first of all let's just sort of give thanks for that teacher being there and they are them they are that person they're never going to change they're just they're that person that is the person they are what what might you say to them to support them to evaluate their practice and craft it a bit differently but don't try to talk about them as if they you wish they were somebody else and i find that some school leaders find that challenging like they it's such a strong urge i think that's a hell of a point and i you know i think i've been guilty of that in the past 
I've been guilty of um, sort of I don't know how to say it's, it, it, not not in a not in a bad way, but feeling like you need you need to to say something, uh, you know, yeah. like you say, make that judgment or you know, sort of um, immediately react to something you, you you're seeing or you or you think, and not to actually go, hang on a minute, let's walk away from that for, for a bit let's reflect let's review and let's think about their personality and what their sort of way of doing things is I, th- I think the temptation is to project your own way onto others yeah um because i think that's human nature in a way to to sort of you know to to want to impact others and to, and and I, I think it usually will come from a good place. Like I don't think it's like, oh, I want to judge the, someone because I want to make their life a misery. Of course not. But uh, but it sometimes can inadvertently because it might be something they simply cannot do. You know, it's like you need to do this, but they just can't do it because they're not you. No, you know, you know what I mean. Like, and sometimes you realise. You're asking someone to do something which is so against their nature that it's just it would require them to almost change their entire personality. You think, well, that's never going to happen. So you've got to think like, what might be a good way for you to, even within a, you know, with a, a whole school thing where we're trying to get to achieve a certain approach. And some some teachers are just more sort of socially shy and in, and in their demeanour with a class, and they're much more they're quite formal and quite reserved. And you think. Now, they're, they're never going to be the big showy character and some of those things I'm suggesting even in a training session about how you might go about it. You, know, you, you can never say you need to do this. You can just say that this is an idea you might want to look at because some people are going, oh, no, <laughs> I can't imagine myself doing that. I, I, love, I often tell this story because it really struck me. There was a school I went to where there were two teachers side by side in the same corridor. And in, in a one class, there was this guy who was very formal, you know, sort of shirt and tie, almost like snazzy dresser, you know, it was almost like, a, you know, waistcoat and, a, and like a proper, properly smart man. Like he's in his 50s. Yeah. And he, he stood with his hands behind his back and he would say, he, the way he asked questions was he'd say something like, so let's, uh, Jennifer, let's have answer from you. And he was like, <laughs> he's very proper, very proper. And that kid's loved yeah. it. This guy's so so he's like maverick, and the teacher next door, same school. She was she would walk around the tables going, "All right, lovey, all right, darling. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, gorgeous, gorgeous, lovey." And you think well, these two teachers could not be more different, but in their own way, they're just great, you know. And the t- the kids loved them, but both for being who they were. So you think I can never make one of you be more like the other, but that's not the point. The point is, I personally wouldn't be like any of you, but that that also isn't the point. The point is. Are you, you know, using your personality and your what you offer in the most effective way you can? And that, that's the whole spirit of a professional culture where those people both feel valued for who they are rather than feeling they're doing it wrong, you know. Yeah. And I think I think that's particularly important when it comes to like new teachers, because if you're a trainee teacher or an NQT or whatever, I think you will take what someone else says and it doesn't matter who it is actually particularly someone with with more experience but but actually anyone you could take what they say as gospel about you and about your teaching and about so that's where feedback i think is is really 
like important to get right and only to say things that you absolutely need to say I was just going to mention this about trainees as well because my trainee this year I've noticed that when he teaches for my lessons he uses the slide kind of profile that I use for my lessons so like he asked me to send him a lesson in his first week and he uses very similar looking slides to me but then when he teaches somebody else's lessons he teaches on their performer and teaches more like them um, and you know he's mm. right at the beginning of his career so he's trying to emulate what he's seen work with that class before which is absolutely brilliant but also I've then had to be very, very careful in my feedback since I kind of clicked on to that, that I'm not trying to make him like a mini version of me because that's not going to work. Like I know that I don't teach like the person next door to me who, and then they don't teach like the person next door to them. So why on earth should I expect him to teach like me? And then why would the other teacher that he's teaching with expect them to teach like them? Um, And so it is, it's really interesting kind of coming at it from an ITT perspective. Thank you, Albie. Um, as always, always agrees with his mum. So, you know, I think it's 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 interesting to kind of consider that I've thought about that with ITT and actually the past few years looking at other teachers in my kind of wider lead pack role. Um, it's been about getting them to reflect, like Tom said, as opposed to kind of imposing my own views on them because, as I say, there's no one good way to be a teacher. Tom, do you think, because you do a lot of, like, coaching and, and the like, so when giving feedback to a teacher are there any really key like do's and don'ts for you on that yeah i mean i i think for a start i mean this is even this framing in that way i i feel like the first thing is i mean this is i and i do see this changing more and more in in the system which is great as i feel like it's a conversation rather than a a, a directional process so whenever yeah. i'm giving feedback to a teacher for a start they are there <laughs> so yeah. you know i'm not writing this up and giving you my thoughts from on high but also we are trying to reach a shared understanding of what the challenge is and what the solution might be and that's the goal so the first thing is to sort of throw out um you know to sort of talk to sort of focus on specific things you thought were interesting and why so to say you know that i like that moment that was interesting when you did that that was interesting because that happened and be very spoke as a cause and effect but then to open up the teacher to say so where did you find it difficult where do you think when you're teaching thinking oh this isn't going as well as i would have liked or this is a challenge for me and and get teachers to think about it in that way and rather than saying where do you think you went wrong it's more like where are you finding it difficult and where do you think the students are finding it difficult? Because these are shared challenges that everyone's got. And when you approach the whole conversation from the point of view of solving the problem rather than doing it right or wrong, I think it just it's just a much more open conversation and teachers will say, oh God, I know, I was I thought that would work, but I just don't think it did. And, and then the other thing is you sometimes need to be prepared to be a reality check for a teacher because when you're teaching, it's so full on you yeah. don't you don't always see everything it's, it's like watching a football match you know from the stands you can see where the players all are but when you're on the yeah. pit your vision is only partial you can't see the neat cross you could have made you know when you're at the back that's of- a lovely analogy because i always think to myself when i'm watching a game of footy you you all it's so easy to forget how difficult it is when you're on ground level to hit a pass 40 yards or something right to someone's <laughs> feet and to see that pass from ground level and but it's so easy watching foot because you watch you know a hundred football games on tv a year 
it's or from even from the top of a football stand, it would be so easy to forget that. Totally, yeah. And I saw a lesson recently, you know, without sort of being too specific about it, but where it was a teacher who I thought was fabulous, like lovely guy, really enthusiastic, knowledgeable, you know, really confident with the students, running a class with loads of discussion and input and probing, and it was all great. But the little lad next to me had no idea what was going on. And I was thinking, like, for the teacher to, to do all of that and also notice in real time every student's issues, it's just hard. So the- but I just think that, I personally, Tom, I think that's like, I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's it's so difficult to get everything right in, a, in, a, in, a, in any given lesson. And yeah. that's co- sort of relating back to what Catherine was saying earlier about the pressure to perform rising and rising. And it's like, sometimes it's like like what you said Tom earlier of like okay this is the teacher this is who they are they're not perfect no one's perfect let's just let's just let them teach let's just see what happens let's just like that's not about saying all right we're not going to give any feedback I'm not I'm not suggesting that because if you're a self-reflective practitioner which which most most teachers I think are anyway I think you know I I don't think there's many teachers who literally walk out of, of, of a day of teaching and go and don't even have a thought about it in their head. You know, some will, but not many. Most will have some form of analysis going on. Um, but it's so easy to make someone think they've got to change or make someone think what they're doing isn't good enough or make someone think that... And, and maybe that's the teacher's fault as well for picking up on that one bit because you just reeled off a whole list of really positive things so and i know i've seen a few people tweet actually adam adam boxer tweeted this just yesterday about um teachers being able to take feedback on as being the most important thing he would look for when recruiting a teacher in is the ability to take feedback and i do sort of i get that but equally teaching is personal because it's about relationships and it is so easy to take feedback personally and to take feedback, especially from someone you don't know. Like you say, if it's a one-off yeah, observation. Pre- and some, feedback, you know. But I can discuss an issue. So like if someone, I, I always think of a lesson that I taught where I, I had an inspector in and see, it's still, I still think about it now because it was a lesson where I was trying to sort of push the boundaries a bit and make it a bit more challenging because I was thinking that was important and the, the inspector noticed that two of the students at the back were finding it hard and I probably let them flounder a bit too long so it wasn't yeah. a deal for them but rather than sort of the, and then so this was this downgraded my lesson <laughs> and they, they were, they're totally focused on they're saying you know you should have done this and you should have done that and that was the whole nature of the conversation and I was thinking Actually, overall, this class is doing really well. And, you know, I, I, I was, my hackles are raised. I wanted to say to them, well, I'd like to see you try because, actually, you know, we're doing pretty well, you know, and um, come and stand where I'm standing. But so rather than saying to me, yeah, God, how do you how do you get those two lads at the back to be involved when there's so much else going on that's really good? And what would you what how else could you address it? And then I could have said, yeah, I know I, I do need to think about them. And I could have been open to the conversation. But because it came from the angle of, let me give you some feedback about where you went wrong. I, yeah. I was get out of my class, you know. The, the spirit of it, from especially from strangers, I think is, is really a, a big part of it. If you're not receiving feedback is, 
I don't think it's just down to the teacher and say, you need to be good at receiving feedback. The feedback needs to be constructed in an intelligent way with the teacher being part of a discussion. I think just the last 10 minutes or so, if anyone wants to call in, by the way, and you have a view on this, we've we've started to talk about giving feedback, receiving feedback as teachers, then please hit the little request button on the bottom left-hand side. There's a little blue mic icon. So if you have a question or a comment, um, that you want to make you can just hit that and we'll invite you in and you can kind of get involved in the conversation i mean one thing i was going to sort of add on this issue of of like um of, of feedback is a comment made by miss b and you can see it actually pinned at the top uh catherine and tom she says i think it's important to lead by example i find teachers find it hard to receive feedback if they don't think the person giving the feedback is credible um it's interesting that word credible though, because what is credible? Catherine, I think what that's, do you think? I of think it? that's really, really subjective as well, because and I think but it almost comes to back to the same point as Tom just made. It was a stranger that walked into his classroom and made that judgment and kind of said those things in a judgmental way. Um and so that felt less as a kind of a as a person, you're less receptive to that because it's like, well, you don't even know me. You don't know that this is my everyday. This is one lesson you've ever seen. Um, and so, like, that's part of credibility, I think. But then also there's that level of credibility of, like, how much do they do this? Have they been a teacher themselves? When did they last teach, et cetera, et cetera, which I think, you know, for lots of people is a really big factor in how much they're going to listen to what somebody has to say. It's like their level of experience and particularly, I think experience in teaching your subject as well particularly sometimes I think there's a lot of talk often about you know someone coming in particularly maybe Ofsted and saying you know this is what you should have done but they're you know a history teacher and they've been watching a maths lesson I think we've started talking about credibility and Tom's literally left to go and update his LinkedIn like bloody (laughs) hell you know he's thought bloody hell I forgot to update my LinkedIn it's been out of date for, for months um but yeah no like I think that to be fair, I think that that can happen, though, even in a school, can't it? If someone Because you imagine, right, the only way, really, that someone would get a real, true, proper take on what you're doing is if they were in your classroom for 80 to 90% of the lessons over, over like, months. That's my thinking. I, I just don't know. Like, you could pick up on little things for that particular lesson, but as a teacher as a whole like i don't know i think this the shift that that tom's talking about about having these kind of professional conversations about it as opposed to imposing these judgments is probably the biggest thing that i've seen change in in this since i started teaching at the beginning there was still very much of a like judgment on your individual lesson kind of mentality um whereas now when I'm kind of popping in and out of lessons, I mean, I, I do it all all the time. I'm I'm absolutely ridiculous for just wandering into a lesson and seeing what's going on. And yes. um, when I'm when I'm free, I really enjoy just going and seeing what other people are doing. But about them kind of leading that conversation then and saying, "Oh, you were doing this. Tell me more about it." Or you know, leading that conversation in that way, I think is is much much better and actually maybe gives you the credibility a little bit as well because it's not about you dictating what is good and what is bad it's about feeling that kind of trust both ways that you both feel each other is credible I think is really important as well I think that's that's so interesting I mean I I am um, I think the thing is it, it, and this is where you know people doing this need to 
I think obviously there are different cultures. I know some schools where, you know, it's still very top down, the SLT walk around and then they'll go to the teacher and say, do this, do that. And sometimes we still have people dropping in feedback comments onto a system. And I, I think it's weird. I, I think it's weird and rude even for to be teaching and then go to your pigeonhole and find, or your inbox and find you've been given some feedback by someone who dropped in. I just think that's just mm-hmm. ridiculous. But, and I would, I would never do that. So when I go to schools and sometimes people, ask me for feedback i just say well it's, it's not really that's not you know why i was there i was there to sort of just get a sense of the whole school and we can discuss the issues when we've got time but i'm not going to give you feedback as such unless we have a structure to have a conversation i, I once recently i think this brought it into relief for me recently i was in a school in the wirral where we were doing a a really interesting process with teachers observing other lessons in different that's where me and Catherine are from by the way I, I, oh, thought, I thought Tom was just gonna like whoop then when you said yeah. that, I did I was just on mute no it's great it was, <laughs> it was, uh, it was, it was some, some, some lovely uh, um, uh, trust up there and we were doing this process looking at lessons across the trust and one of the lessons we saw was a year one PE lesson and I was with these two other teachers who were year six teachers and I was saying, have you taught year one PE? And they were saying, no. And I said, like, nor have I. So, so the three of us are watching this lesson that none of us have ever taught and wouldn't know how. So what's our use to the teacher? Well, we were saying, well, we're not, for a start, we're not going to lay in and tell the teacher anything. We're, go- we're just going to ask yeah. them some questions. We're going to say, we're going to, but you can say to that teacher, wow, that, we, that we noticed some things. So what was happening there? And was that, was that good? You know, were you happy with a the standard there? You know, what, what, what what were you finding hard about that? And were all the children doing as well as you'd have hoped? And you could ask those questions for that teacher to say, to explore the process with them. But you can't weigh in and start giving your view because you're a total non-expert. In but also, Tom, just, just to add in there as well, and I'll be honest here, I, I don't think in my career, when someone has been observing, and it could be a colleague, it could be a leader, it could be an Ofsted inspector, it could be whoever. I don't think I've ever been 100% truly myself as a teacher. I, d- I don't think I have. Um, even if it's just the odd little thing, even if it's just the odd little thing that I've done that I wouldn't normally do, or that, I don't know, like, just not feeling myself like for example would i would i be humorous would i even attempt to be humorous when there's someone else watching the lesson (laughs) well i think that's funny yeah i i i get that i get this i have this conversation all the time where people say to me oh um i wasn't sure if it was right for me to do x and i do people i do think this is this is where we need to sort of get through this like sometimes the most ridiculous example well not ridiculous because it was legitimate this teacher said to me the obvious thing was that the students were finding stuff too difficult and she needed to go back and explain things again and you know it's clear to everyone including her but because she felt like that would look bad to not not continue and she it would mean that she's actually have gone back over a few steps and to, to think of some questions to ask to sort of re-explain and she wasn't sure whether that would be viewed as some sort of failing to, to not have taught mm-hmm. them successfully. She carried on. And it was just it was just digging a bigger and bigger hole, the children not knowing. And that was literally yeah. her being shackled by the 
rabbit in headlights feeling of I'm being observed, whereas her instinct, if no one had been there, would have been to go back over it. And you're thinking, how weird, like, to to be in a system where that has, your inhibition because of being observed has created that feeling. So we had to really talk about that. And I was, share, I was showing that experience with this SLT of the school saying, no, the culture that you've got at the moment has this vibe where people are worried about doing the right thing to the point where they'll do a weird thing. And they, they, they were quite open about that, saying, you know, we probably are too top down and maybe we need to think about the messaging we're given to the teachers when we observe. And I don't know, I, I think that's something to really, to really explore. I think it goes back right to that point you made right at the beginning, talking about the culture of the school, because if the culture of the school is like being observed is no big deal, which it, it was at, at my last school in particular, you know, people walked in and out all the time and just, just wanted to get a sense of how the school was running. Then that, that feels very different. I don't think it, I, I think at the beginning of that school, I definitely felt like I was being watched all the time and kind of changed a little bit when they walked in. But by the end, I didn't even notice. I could have had like five visitors in a lesson and it just was nothing to me. Um, you know, I knew it wasn't really necessarily always about me unless I'd specifically asked or it was a specific, you know, focus for the school that week or whatever. Um, and the culture of that changed how I think about observations entirely because of that and the feedback I then got because of it. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a really big thing, that culture, going right back to the beginning of the conversation. It's, it's definitely a, the biggest thing, I think, that on a small school level we can do. Yeah. I think I'm, what, I, what, I, what I've, I always say to, to school leaders about this, and, you know, it's easier said than done, of course, but is to every time you observe a lesson or talk to a teacher you've got an opportunity to 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 reinforce the culture you want to have which is that the teacher was glad you came in that they felt supported and they kind of would welcome you back anytime because the process was oh that was cool you came in you've helped me you've pushed me along i don't feel judged i feel supported and then then you're on to a winner where where you you can sort of pop in anytime and it's all supportive and and i know schools where that is absolutely what it's like and but the opposite is, you know, if if after you've dropped in and you know the word around the staff room is, oh, for, I've just had so and so much, so God, it's so stressful, and they give me all this feedback, and you know the reputation of the whole process is is the opposite. Leaders have got that in their hands every single time, and it's it, you can change the culture by just simply walking the talk of that. Yeah, goodness me. I mean, we could go on all day. Unfortunately, we've run out of time. Um, but I just want to say thanks ever so much, Tom and Catherine, because it's been an amazing discussion, um, particularly the the second half. It was um, it was brilliant. So thanks ever so much for, for coming on. Um, if anyone wants to listen back to this, it's going to be available as a podcast later on today. So if you follow Teachers Talk Radio on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or, or any of those then you can listen to it on there um, during the week and we'll, we'll post a link to that through Teachers Talk Radio. Um, in 30 minutes' time, you've got Brent Poland coming up uh, on Teachers Talk Radio. So if you want to listen to him, you just have to click on the TTR website and click Listen Live and it will go straight through to Brent's show. If you're interested in hosting yourself, make sure you get in touch with us. Um, if you are a teacher in a school, then please DM us on TT Radio 2022 and just say, I want to host and then we will uh, we will hit you up and we will make sure we can uh, get you get you set up and uh, it'd be great to hear from you. 
Um, uh, final thing is tomorrow night, I've got part two of this. Uh, exactly the same future of education. It will probably be very far ranging. We'll probably go off on many, many tangents like today. But I've got Daisy Christodoulou and Khalil Rouse tomorrow from um, 730 um, and also just a final mention and thanks to our sponsors of the show, which are with us like John Cat Educational, um, who both kindly sponsor this show. Have a good rest of the day and thanks everyone for tuning in and we will be back with you again soon.